Welcome to Odeon Capital Conversations on all things money and markets with Dick Beauvais and Matt Van Alstyne. And here is your host, John Aiden Byrne. On this episode of Odeon Capital Conversations, we look at how evidence of changes in American spending by cash-strapped consumers on basic necessities is impacting market sentiment. Dick Bovey has been watching the U.S. trade deficit, which last year soared to a record $1 trillion. And he'll be here to explain his thoughts on how to pick investments and on defensive investing in a world awash in debt, advances in technology and with the rise of autocracies. We look at the war in Ukraine on the first anniversary of its invasion by Russia. And Matt Van Alstein will raise some disturbing questions about the real financial health of the US government. I'm with Dick Bovey, Chief Financial Strategist at Odeon Capital Group, and Matt Van Alstein, Odeon Co-Founder and Managing Partner. And we'll be right back after this message. Current and future holdings are subject to risk and past performance is no guarantee of future results. This podcast should not be copied, distributed, published, or reproduced in whole or in part. Information presented herein is for discussion and illustrative purposes only and is not a recommendation or an offer or solicitation to buy or sell any securities. Securities identified do not represent all of the securities purchased, sold, or recommended to clients. The views and opinions expressed by the Odeon Capital Group speaker are their own as of the date of the recording. Any such views are subject to change at any time based upon market or other conditions and Odeon Capital Group disclaims any responsibility to update such views. These views should not be relied on as investment advice, and because investment decisions are based on numerous factors, may not be relied on as an indication of trading intent on behalf of any Odeon Capital Group product. Neither Odeon Capital Group nor the speakers can be held responsible for any direct or incidental loss incurred by applying any of the information offered. Dick and Matt, welcome for episode 57. We have lots to talk about. Um, Markets were closed yesterday for President's Day. It opened today. And uh, it was down 300 points. And I, in some reports, said was the market was responding to concerns about rising rates. Not sure if that would be your take, Dick and Matt. I think that the uh, it's very clear that uh, what's impacting the market is uh, the earnings statements of Walmart and uh, you know companies in the retail sector. Uh, Walmart had you know extraordinarily good earnings uh, for the quarter. Uh, in fact, the month of December was the strongest month in the history of the company. But the company was pretty clear in suggesting that this was due to an increase in food as opposed to uh, any other goods that they were selling. In other words, there was a big increase in food buying at Walmart. And according to Walmart, it was coming from people who are upper income, uh, not people who usually shop there. But everything else that Walmart sells, apparently, and, and that's an overstatement, you know, but that, that was down, right? And, you know, we're seeing, you know, in all of these retailers who are reporting earnings, you know, they don't have food sales, right? So basically, they're showing weak, weak results. But was the killer and what's killing the market today is that uh, Walmart said that they don't expect their revenues for the full year to be up. They expect them to be the same. So so the net effect is they're, they're basically saying that, you know, this whole consumer wave that people are talking about that's going to recover the economy just isn't there. And 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 therefore, um, I think that the market is looking at that and then, you know, maybe thinking uh, what maybe we should listen to uh, Powell and, and the Fed guys uh, a little bit more 
but it, it just seems to me that Walmart really killed the market today. Yeah, I, I agree with Dick. It's it's really interesting when you look at these at the numbers. There's there's something going on with the economy that either the Fed is causing or just just on the cusp of. But basically, you have used car prices going up. You have home sales uh, price levels going up while home sales are declining. You have consumers basically trying to spread their dollar in a much more economical way by shopping at Walmart, which, you know, there's a Walmart near me. It's a good five miles further than my grocery store, but it's shocking how much money you can save if you go to Walmart for groceries because they are the cheapest provider. So if people are going out of their way to go to Walmart, to me, that means they're trying to stretch their dollar a bit more. Um, and and so this the, the, the economy is still a very confusing economy. Uh, President Biden the other day said that no one in the world wants to be President Xi because he has the toughest um, job in the world, but I think no one wants to be Jerome Powell. I mean, my goodness, what do you do in an economy like this, um, considering the economic numbers that came out you know, last week with, with uh, the CPI and the PPI showing inflation really hasn't been impacted at all by any of the actions he's taking, and you have a Congress which is not helping at all by continuing to be a spendthrift Congress, so... I, I think the toughest job in the world right now is Jerome Powell's. I agree with you. I think that uh, he he uh, he is going to get enormous pressure as uh, you know the the stock market finally agrees with him, as people you know go to the store to buy you know eggs and chicken and and things that are going up, milk that are going up in price dramatically, uh, and as people uh, start to lose their jobs because the unemployment claims, even though the number you know, seems to look a little bit better on a week-to-week basis. If you take it, a look at the one that I think is most important, which is the number of people who are remaining on unemployment, that number is going up. So, uh, you know, maybe finding a job is not as easy as the jolts number would suggest. So um, I, I think we are moving toward a weaker economy. Plus, um, I, there were two speeches that you really cannot ignore. I mean, Putin's uh, comments uh, this morning in his State of the Union message and uh, Biden's comments, you know, uh, on his uh, brief trip to the Ukraine, uh, they're, they're, they're settling in on either side. Uh, they're not talking at all about any type of, uh, you know, communication, uh, you know, or any likelihood of an easing of the situation in Ukraine, uh, which means that this bifurcation of the world economy is is going to continue i mean the, you know putin just went nuts this morning uh in, in in my view uh and you know biden is probably and he's going to have some comments i think tomorrow i think he's going to be just as, as stalwart you know um you know it's the west versus the east this is the 19 as as i was speaking with john a, a short time ago the west and the east are versing each other and and this is the 1930s we've got hitler and we got mussolini in my view back in power only they named you know putin and uh, i know you like xi jinping but putin and xi jinping these guys are, in in my view, fascists. Uh, these guys are the same as the people who existed in the 30s. And, you know, uh, this, this saber rattling, uh, even to North Korea, to me, is very unsettling. It's, it's very nerve-wracking. Absolutely. And we've noticed in recent days how China is reassessing, it seems to me, its relationship with Russia, growing closer to Russia. We should be worried about that, I think. 
Well, it, there are two sets of uh, information that are coming out. One is that China may start to provide Russia with weapons uh, to be used in Ukraine. I mean, if they do that, you know, it is Hitler and Mussolini. There is no question about it. On the other hand, there is uh, information coming out arguing that China is backing away from Russia because it's impacting uh, the economy of China. And uh, the economy in China must, you know, improve after the COVID uh, lockdown situation. So that China is rethinking what, what he, their relationship with Russia and going a step further. Uh, there, there has been some press reports indicating that uh, Xi Jinping is annoyed by the comments that he's going to militarily attack Taiwan. Uh, he doesn't want to do that, apparently, according to these reports. So, you know, who, who knows which side is right? If he, if he starts sending weapons to Ukraine, well, then, you know, he, he hasn't backed off at all. If all of these other comments coming out are correct, he's backed off in a meaningful fashion. I don't know. I mean, but this guy Putin is a mass murderer. He's crazy and and uh, he's controlling, you know, nuclear weapons and and I can't think of anything worse. I mean, I do want to point out that as much as and look, I'm I'm on America's side. I I want Ukraine to win, but as much as we are listening to Putin and he gives this speech this morning which sounds like someone who's either tuned out from the rest of the world or just doesn't care. My guess is he doesn't care what the rest of the world thinks. But he's talking the same way that Joe Biden is. There is no off-ramp here. With with Zelensky also talking about no off-ramp. I mean, both of their black lines include, we get to keep Crimea. That that's not a good good black line for for either side to have because Crimea is something that both sides seem to need to want. Okay, I think you could get to a spot where you end up with like a, a Korean War detente where there is a border. Everyone kind of knows it. And even though it's never been signed in a document, basically everyone knows where the line is. You can see it on a satellite. And you might be able to end up with that with Crimea, where Russia has it. They think it's theirs. And everyone else kind of just wink, wink, nod, nod, agrees. But they, they say the same thing about the Donbass. Like, there's no shot that anything in the Donbass can be given up. And both of them go further than that. They both go to the point of, you know, wanting to control Kiev and, and, and go back to pre- 2008 boundaries and so this is this is a war where you know the funder of the war which is basically america's it's america's proxy war we we wanted this war it seems like it seems like we've done everything we can to discourage peace um whether or not you believe the seymour hirsch article which i certainly do you know america blew up the 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 Nord Stream pipeline according to seymour hirsch as 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 a way to make sure that germany stays in our corner um this is a war that does not have an off-ramp and there's no strategic purpose to it that has been declared to the American people by the president. And there's been no public debate as to what it is. And so it's it's a really scary situation because Putin seems to have his mind on one outcome. The West, if the if we are the West, the, the at least President Biden seems to have his seems to have his mind on a different outcome, and they do not align. And so when you when you talk about oh this is Mussolini all over again, I, I sit and think this is more like the guns of September. This is. This is World War One stuff where publicly everyone's saying we don't want a global war while doing everything in their power to make sure that we, you know, head first into a global war. Um, I think it's a very scary situation and there's nothing that is happening on the ground or by our leaders that makes you think that anyone has a grasp of what they want the end game to be, except they want the end game to be the other guy loses. You said America has done everything in its grasp to discourage peace. Yeah, I mean, you have report. First off, you have the Seymour Hirsch report, which was the blowing up of the Nord Stream pipeline. Has um, that been verified? 
No, it's been far from verified. It's been ex- you know extensively denied by uh, Americans. Yeah, Americans, um, Swedes, the Norwegians, the Danes. You know, everyone he says was uh, part of it. And Germany has, I think, said that they don't see any reason to believe that America did it. But Seymour Hirsch has broken numerous stories over his career where the officials denied that what he was publishing was true. Um, starting with the My Lai massacre in the 1970s in Vietnam. That, you know, the government denied that that occurred until eventually the the proof was in the pudding. You know, you know, overwhelmingly they had to admit what had happened there. I'm not saying Seymour Hirsch is right. I'm saying he is a credible reporter mm-hmm. as a source who published a very detailed analysis of how America blew up the Nord Stream pipeline as a way to make sure Germany didn't have an off ramp. Uh, you know, it's kind of it's kind of the um, Going back to the burning of the boats during the Spanish Inquisition, you know we're we're an American, we're here to stay. We're not we're not sailing back. Once you blow up that pipeline, Germany doesn't really have a choice. They have to align completely with the West. And I'm not saying that I have any insight. I haven't. I don't think anyone does. And Seymour Hirsch probably doesn't know if his you know if his source is telling the truth or lying. He probably just published it and verified it to the extent he could. You also have further reports coming out of UK media where Boris Johnson, if you remember, went and visited Kiev just before the war. And Zelensky told him, according to these reports, that he had a basic peace deal with the with the Russians, which would be, you know, giving the Donbass basically some sort of territorial sovereignty, um, guaranteeing uh, the Russian speakers in Ukraine certain certain rights with Russian speaking, and you know, solidifying that Crimea would be part of Russia going forward. And that was the deal that was on the table. And Zelensky apparently wanted to take it. And Boris Johnson was dispatched on behalf of NATO to tell him, no shot, America will not support that deal. So I, I do think there's a lot of tangential evidence that when there's off-ramps, the Americans have decided to clo- you know, dispose those off-ramps and, and actually have the confrontation, which fits with the overall broad theory that America wants to have this war as a way of weakening Russia and making an example to China that, hey, if you get involved in foreign invasions, it'll be costly to you, and we won't you know, reward, reward that type of behavior. And there are some logic to that that the idea that making it clear that if you invade a foreign country the the penalty and the punishment will be quite harsh but what you're not hearing at all in in any point from any leader that i've ever heard of is off-ramp discussions how does this end how does this end peacefully what is a what does a peace deal look like because both sides say hey the peace deal is as soon as we get what we want then then we'll have peace well neither side's giving the other side what they want. And so that what it seems to be is an endless war that risks bringing in other countries. And Dick is totally right. If you get China, you know, the the second largest economy and the third largest army in the world, well, first largest army, but, you know, third most capable army, I guess, also involved, um, you know, and then you have the entire southern hemisphere basically neutral. And and to some degree, you have India playing footsie with both sides and you have the Middle East kind of aligning more with Russia than with the West, you you do have the 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 architecture of a global conflict. Doesn't America in many ways hold all the cards or hold many of the cards in all of this, having spent a hundred billion and the and, and taken the initiative in, in Europe, whereas the EU and NATO countries are sort of sitting back and letting America do all the um the hard slog, but you're saying we need some kind of an honorable compromise in, in this whole quagmire uh, by the Ukraine and, and Russia and some kind of an off-ramp, and it's maybe that's where America steps in and puts that pressure on. 
I'm not saying I, I I'm saying we don't have that. I don't know that we need it, but what we don't have is we don't have a leader telling us what our strategic interest is and why we're we're pushing so hard. Mm-hmm. I did hear an analysis as to why America's spending a lot more money than the Europeans are, and it comes down to the you know the the wink and a nod of what foreign aid actually is when you're when you're America. Because foreign aid when you're America, we get the headline numbers. Oh, you know, we're sending over we've sent fifty billion dollars. Well, we didn't send fifty billion dollars. It's not like $50 billion showed up in a checking account and the Ukrainians can go out and shop and spend it as they see fit. We send them contracts that are prepaid for where they get to buy American weapons and they're forced to buy American weapons. We tell them which American weapons they have to buy. And and the Europeans apparently have somewhat of a view, and I somewhat understandable, that them writing checks where America dictates how the money gets spent and it has to be spent buying American weapons is not something Europeans want to do. And so the degree that Europe is not funding it as much is because Europe doesn't have the defense um, industry built up to the level where they can contribute actual finished products. They have to rely on the Americans. They don't like cutting checks just to America to print, print bullets and, and guns. And and to some degree, there's some logic in that. But you're, you're saying America holds all the cards? No, America does not hold all the cards. You still have Vladimir Putin, and, and, and then you have Zelensky, who apparently, as much as he's a... a somewhat popular figure now you know he was a fairly middle of the road unpopular figure when he got elected and he ran on on a bunch of agenda items that he was not able to achieve because a good portion of his population did not want what he ran on he ran on um um the minsk accords and implementing them and apparently there's a lot of this uh people in the south and and in with without within the country that did not want the Minsk Accords um, approved. And so it's not like he has a unitary government and can do what he wants. He still has to unite his people. So I don't think America holds all the cards, but America is not being a leader in coming to a peaceful resolution for sure. Yeah, what I meant there, Matt, was clearly uh, America holds all the cards in terms of its relationship with the allies, the West and Europe. Yeah, clearly this is America's war. Yeah. Yeah, well, I think it's a, in, in the sense that it's America's war, it's a, it's a broader issue here and that is uh the demand for spheres of influence such as existed before world war ii before world war one in other words i think that uh, what china it wants is control of the south china sea and it wants control of the you know islands and countries that are associated with the south china sea i think uh, russia wants the old imperial russia uh and i think the united states wants everything uh, and and the problem is that therefore the the United States is getting pushed on both sides, you know, to give up uh, its its hegemony of the world, which it has held since the end of World War II. And and I think that's that's the essential conflict. But uh, in terms of uh, starting this particular war, I, I think that that was uh, all you know Russia's desire in terms of building its sphere of influence because you know this is not the first country that they've invaded. It's not the first country that Putin has invaded. As we've discussed before, he started off by invading Georgia. He's in Azerbaijan. He's, uh, you know, uh, taken a strong position uh, in in, uh, certain areas of Eastern Europe. There have been riots now in Moldova in which they want the Russians to come in. Uh, There was a long piece on French television about Serbia, uh, and Serbia wants Russian uh, control. Uh, It does not want anything to do with, it hates America, and it doesn't want anything to do with the with the West. So I, I really think it's uh, what we're dealing with is the redefinition of 
who controls which segment of the globe. And I think that's where we've come to here, where Russia and China are saying to America, you can't control it all anymore. We're going to take pieces of it away from you. And America is saying, uh, I'll be damned if you do. You're not going to take anything away yeah. from us. To me, that's that's essentially the conflict that we're dealing with here. But but I don't I don't uh, accept the view that Putin did not start this war. He started yeah. this war. And I think he started all of the other wars that he's involved in at the, at the present. Nobody told him to go into Syria. Nobody said that, uh, you know, he should start creating foment in, in Moldova. Nobody told him that he should be the arbiter in Azerbaijan. Nobody said that he should uh, take North Ossetia, uh, which is the, the portion of Russia, uh, of Georgia that he's taken. Uh, he wants he wants imperial Russia back. He doesn't give a damn about communism. Uh, he gives a damn about Russia, the country, the, the history, the what have you. And, and he, he's a mass murderer and he doesn't care about how he gets it. I think you said it right there. I think it's Putin's war. I mean, if you look at the Ukraine invasion, we're at the first anniversary this week. She explains why um, President Biden is in um went to the Ukraine and Poland. Um, but I mean, it's almost nine years old if you take Crimea into account as well. So I don't think the US encouraged any of that. Whether it will help stamp it out is the other question. I, I, I'm not trying to imply, imply that America encouraged this. I, I, and I, I totally agree with Dick that this is Putin's war. And I think, I think if you go back and say, oh, it was Crimea. No, I would go back to 2008. This was this was the invasion of Georgia by by the Russians, and that's. I mean, if you want to go back and say when did World War Three start, if this eventually turns into World War Three, I would pick 2008 when George Bush underreacted. Um, you know, he was distracted a little bit by the global financial crisis. He was he was um, finishing up his term as president. I think he had, you know, to the degree he had attention deficit disorder, it got worse in 2008 and. And I would say 2008 was when it began. But then, you know, it's not just a Republican problem because President Obama kind of handled the invasion of Crimea the same way. Of just kind of like, oh, well, not our fight, not our import, you know. So so he has had green lights or at least gotten away with, if whatever way you want to phrase it, of invading other countries for a while. I'm going to pick up on something you said, uh, Matt, so many times we need leadership in the globe. And... We really were lacking leaders to stand up to this bully Putin. I mean, I, we, we had a laugh about this before we went on the air about how Putin would chase rats during his youth. I mean, this guy is tough as nails uh, in, in every way, politically and um, in just his mental makeup. He, the guy's almost crazy. Yeah, he Obama is crazy, did, not almost. Obama did, you know, did encourage him, uh, you know, by drawing a line in the sand in Syria and then forgetting that he drew a line, line that he had drawn a line in the sand. You know, he walked away from Syria when uh, Putin moved into Syria. And to me, you know, I, I agree with I agree with Matt totally about Georgia being the beginning of this of this situation. But I'm telling you, when Obama walked away from that line in the sand, he said to Russia, you know, go for it. I don't care what you go for. I'm not going to do anything about it. And And that, I think, was outrageous.
Vic, uh, you have done a lot of um, extensive reporting in, in the past week on um, how to pick investments, and which I, and I want to pick up on that because you, you mentioned this just earlier about how the world is bifurcating the global economy, I guess, and and you mentioned consumer debt. Um, how it's rising and you've said this to new records and it's making consumer-oriented investments questionable. Well, I, I do believe that uh, we're in the midst of a massive change in the structure of the global economy. I think we went in one direction in 1990 in which we opened everything up, uh, whether it was goods movement, uh, manufacture, whether it was money movement, uh, you know, we, we, we changed the whole world in, in that period. And, and you had guys like Francis Fukuyama coming out with his uh, view that the, the, the whole world had changed forever, which was absolutely ridiculous. But the point is that, um, you know, we changed again when Russia invaded Ukraine because we put back together the whole concept of, of, of major power blocks in the world and major, if you will, controls of certain segments of, of, the, of the globe. And, and that, that led to, you know, I think the need to uh, change the way we ran the U.S. economy. I don't think we can use the model that was created after 1990 any longer. We can no longer say we're going to design the products. You can manufacture them in Southeast Asia, and then we'll sell them in the United States, and the American public will borrow the money to buy them because obviously the American public are now waiters and 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 uh, people you know operating in low income jobs and in the, the high return jobs, which are in manufacturing, are sitting in Southeast Asia. So that that model is dead. And if that model is dead, if the money is not going to be there for the consumer to borrow uh, so it can go buy new earphones, that I love to pick on, earphones for its Apple, uh, then, then basically, you know, what, what is it going to be replaced by? We've got to be the manufacturing power of the world. It, it, I do not believe that nuclear or defense or what have you is going to determine who controls the world. It's going to be the country that manufactures the greatest amount of products at the lowest price with the greatest utility. And that country has to be the United States. That's where we have to go. So if we have to go there, then the first thing an investor has to think about, to go back to your question, John, the first thing he has to think about or she has to think about is, you know, who benefits if that is where we're going? Well, investors in manufacturing benefit, investors in defense benefit, investors in, you know, natural resource benefit, investors in food production benefit, investors in, you know, you know, buying another, you know, buying the third used car in, in the family for the, for, for the kid is, is not where we're going. We're not going in the direction of more money being spent on, um, Google or, or, or advertising or, you know, uh, you know, Netflix uh, or Disney, uh, uh, if subscri subscriptions. So, so that, that, that's not where you want to put your money. You want to put your money where the economy is going. And then, you know, you have to go to that second stage that we talk about, which uh, is how do you pick and how do you select the way you're going to make those investments? Consumer debt is rising, as you noted, to new records. U.S. household debt reached a record 16.9 trillion last quarter. Um, the bulk of it on mortgage debt, but also there are swelling 
credit card balances and delinquencies are on the rise. The point is consumer debt is rising. It's soaring. Yeah, well, I think Walmart, again, to go back to where we started the conversation today, I think Walmart, you know, underlined, you know, and, and put exclamation points behind what you just said. Walmart is saying, you know, we're selling food and we sell food at the cheapest rate. So everybody's coming to buy it from us. And they're saying we're not selling the other stuff. Now they're selling the other stuff at pretty low prices also. But again, you know, the ability of the consumer to afford buying food and the other stuff and, you know, a cheap house and a cheap car, although neither one of those two things exist, you know, is, is gone. And, and, and therefore, you know, we've got to rethink where they're going to get their money in the future. We're going to rethink about what that does for the for, for, for the production and sale of product in America. So I, I think this Walmart report today was incredibly important in, in underlying, you know, I'm repeating, so I apologize, but it did underlying where we're going. Walmart is there. It knows where the consumer is going. And it told us today exactly where the consumer is going. At the end of last year, 18 plus million borrowers were behind on their credit card balances versus 15.8 million in 2019. One of the things, the concepts you mentioned here, Dick, in terms of picking investments was advanced technologies. And you mentioned that they require specialty minerals. And I'm also thinking of AI, the emergence of AI. That's getting into the news a lot lately um quite quite a phenomena actually how it's changing the workplace or will eventually yeah well you have to ask yourself what is more important right now rhodium or aluminum you know uh, we we are we are shifting toward you know more uh, electric cars more electrically driven uh, products and to do that we need nickel we need rhodium we need copper we need uh, rare earths we need you know uh you know lithium uh, so 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 in other words you know if if you know that that's where we're going then you know that you should be investing in that. In other words, you should be investing in those minerals which are going to be in high demand. You should be investing in those. And by the way, we're not making any recommendations, you know, of specific stocks here. We're just saying in, in a generic sense, you should be investing in the areas where you think the economy is going. And my view is that the economy is going toward reindustrialization. And that that reindustrialization is going to be characterized, as you clearly said, by, you know, use of technology, use of the products that technology isolates as being necessary. And I think that that's, that's where ultimately the American economy is going to be. I don't give a damn whether it's 6% or 5% in terms of what, what the, the Federal Reserve does. They've already done it. They've already reduced the, the supply of money in the United States, and that money supply is not going to turn around and go back up because lending is a big chunk of how you increase the money supply, and the banks are not going to continue to lend to the consumer the way they were. If you take a look at the companies like Capital One and Discover and JP Morgan and you know Citigroup and, and all these credit card companies, they're not going to say, hey... You know, the consumer is now starting to default like crazy. I think we ought to lend them more money. He's going to, they're going to say, we're going to lend them less money. And if we lend them less money, that means that the products that these consumers buy will not be sold to the same degree. So where is JP Morgan going to go out and lend that money? 
They're going to go lend it to Boeing. They're going to go lend it to to companies uh, Deere. They're going to United Aircraft. They're going to lend it to companies which are building things that we need to have built and that we're going to use. And that's that to me is where the excitement lies in the whole situation of what's going on now. There is a shift. It's definable, and we can get with that shift. And and that's what that's what I'm trying to suggest with those points that I made in that comment that I sent to you, the outline that I sent to you. And how about the U.S. trade deficit? You've noted that um, the trade situation is improving, but very, very negative still. Well, yeah. I mean, what I'm, I, I, if if you have this theory that I'm espousing here, you have to watch now the trade situation uh, much more than you might have had to do so uh, when we 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 embraced. A negative trade deficit. We wanted all these products to be bought, to be built in, in, in Southeast Asia. And what you're looking for or what I'm looking for in, in looking at these trade deficit numbers is number one, you know, is it swinging? And in the last three months, it actually swung in our favor. Not, not that we have a positive, uh, we, we have a lower negative. Uh, in, in, in other words, it's $200 billion less than it had been a year ago. The second thing you want to look at is what goods are, are, are being sold? What, what, what's moving in, in the international markets? And amazingly, by far, the most important uh, factor impacting the trade deficit right now is everything that has anything to do with tourism. You know, you're seeing the travel numbers. You know, you're seeing the the, the actual uh, travel. Well, the actual uh, tourist numbers. You're seeing, but but you're seeing one of the biggest products that have been moving country to country are aircraft parts. Well, why the heck are aircraft parts moving? Well, you could say they're blowing up planes in Ukraine, but that's not the reason. The reason is because travel has picked up enormously. So that's kind of disappointing to me because it's exactly contrary to the theory that I'm expressing here. I'm saying the consumer is not going to have money, will not be able to borrow, and yet the trade figures are showing that's exactly what they're doing. They do have the money. They are borrowing. And what I'm saying is you, you, you're going to see more machinery. You're going to see more natural resources. You're not seeing that. So the trade numbers th that I'm pointing to are, are contrary to the argument that I'm making. But, you know, I think it's very important now to take a look at those trade numbers very carefully as they come out quarter by quarter. Well, last year, the U.S. trade deficit soared to a record-topping $1 trillion, But there's some improvement. But, gosh, we have a long ways to go here, Dick. Well, well, yeah, obviously we do. I mean, as I say, the business model that we adopted in 1990 argued that the trade deficit would explode. But we made the decision that we were going to uh, have our television sets and our, our, our chemicals and our, uh, you know, manufactured goods come from Southeast Asia, what, what could happen? The trade deficit had to go up because we're going to buy that stuff. Uh, and, you know, if, if we're selling that stuff to Americans, we're not getting a, an increase in export as a result of doing that. All we're doing is increasing the money supply because we're forcing people in the United States to borrow money that they're not earning to buy products which were created overseas, which drove the trade deficit crazy on the upside. All right. That's why I'm looking at these numbers. 
Is it changing? What is changing here? Uh, and it is changing, and it's changing in our benefit. Number one, it's down two hundred billion from that one trillion, one point one trillion number that you that you mentioned. Uh, and, and 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 I think that's that's encouraging. What is discouraging? is it's not changing because we're selling more things that we manufacture it's changing because of tourism and and that you know kind of blows your mind a bit i mean i'm 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 sorry I, I, going back to my economics classes from from university my recollection was that broadly speaking the trade deficit um if if it wasn't if the, if we did not have a trade deficit then it would have to be financed by private sector deficits um if you have a budget deficit and so the 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 basic t model math accounting is when you have a budget deficit you want your trade deficit to be larger than that otherwise the private sector is financing the government deficit and that would harm the economy and so by and large you're just broadly speaking when you have large government deficits which we do under president trump and president biden you would expect mathematically, as long as the economy is healthy, to have a large trade deficit. Otherwise, the accounting doesn't work. Yeah, so you're right. In other words, you need the foreigners to take that money and put it back into the United States, you know, in other words, to pay our, our debt. And that's what has been happening also. I mean, Japan and China has have been funding the U.S. debt to, to an extent that, you know, one would never have imagined going back. So you're right. The, the solution starts with exactly what you said, get rid of the government debt, which you can't do, I agree. But, you know, you can reduce the, the size of the government deficits, number one. And if you do that, you know, and you start manufacturing here, the trade deficit doesn't have to be big. You don't have to borrow all that money from overseas. And, you know, your economy is in very in much stronger shape. And what I'm suggesting is, even though it's hard to suggest that, it's hard for people to believe it, that is what will happen. In other words, I believe that's what will happen. Dick, let me ask you, how realistic or do you see a time coming where all these consumer goods that are being made in China, Southeast Asia, or a good proportion of them will start to be made here in the US. Are there any signs of that? No, <laughs> there is small, there are small signs of manufacturing picking up uh, in, in a number of places, uh, you know, but the point is, you know, we still don't make a television here in the United States. I don't know if we make any refrigerators in the United States, but my guess is that we don't. Uh, and we're making a hell of a lot of cars overseas that we buy in the United States. So again, I'm saying these things are going to happen and, and you're picking apart what I'm saying very validly by saying, okay, show me. Well, I can't show you because it hasn't happened yet. So, yeah. The fact is I'm saying it must happen. We must, you know, we must re re reduce the deficits because we can't pay for them with foreign money. We must, you know, stop buying things from overseas, which we borrow money to buy because the banks are not going to give us the money to, to buy it. Uh, so I'm saying that the, the underlying parameters of what, you know, Powell is doing, you know, uh, is part of this, but the underlying parameters to, to suggest that the way that we've been doing it is going to continue are over. That is clearly in place. Are the underlying parameters of, you know, show me how many people, you know, 
more than buying pillows that were built in Minnesota, how many people are actually building things in the United States? And it's a woefully small amount. Well, that's actually a great example. My pillows. Yeah. I mean, you can manufacture some things here and get huge um, markets for them. I mean, I would imagine these flat screen TVs that we all have, if we made them here in America, it would probably cost us a couple of grand for each screen versus a couple of hundred right now importing them. So, the- well, that's, that's the other point that I'm trying to make. You, you, you have to use advanced technology uh, that we are supposedly still ahead at in, in the world. I mean, we may not be in certain defense areas and certain telecommunications areas, but if, if we assume that the United States is still uh, the most advanced country in uh you know developing uh you know advanced technologies because we have the best university system because uh we we have uh, the uh, highest number of people going to college etc then we we can do that we can make that flat screen television cost less to make here than made in vietnam or or thailand or, or wherever the hell it's made you have a note about market volatility it remains quite high so defensive investing you seem to suggest makes sense well yeah i i i believe that for the past year now i think that you know uh there is so much money around uh and it's you know it's it's, you know basically uh, not being used you know to to build products we'll say all right it's being used in in the financial markets companies are buying back stock individuals are buying uh you know stock that you know uh you're getting all this craziness occur- occurring in investing and in, in, in my view um you know young people see this as a video game it's not investing actual money although they are investing actual money but they're they're playing a video game which is kind of fun and interesting and they've got these nice japanese candles uh to look at as opposed to you know the dot you know the the, the line plots uh and, and as a result of that i i think that it's it's a treacherous market it's a very treacherous market and, and therefore i think you got to go to places where safety exists and i'm arguing very strongly obviously that preferred stocks are one of those places uh and preferred stocks in companies where you know that there is a need to make sure that that dividend is payment paid and that's the banking system so uh we're very much in, in the point of view that you've got to buy bank preferred stocks as opposed to uh, buying, you know, these these consumer uh, software ideas. Bank preferreds have certain advantages over common stock, Dick. Uh, maybe you could give us a primer. Well, well, the the the, the, the disadvantages are clear. Common stocks can go up, uh, you know, in theory, infinitely in value. Preferreds cannot. Uh, preferreds are are limited by the yield on the security or the size of the dividend which cannot be changed uh and and unless it's a, a float to f- a fixed to float preferred which is a type we like but the point is that you know they're limited by the yield on on the stock all right so uh you you don't you don't benefit if the company does substantially better if you buy the preferred uh you benefit more if you own the common all right but if you're afraid and, and I use that word judiciously, that the market is too too uh, erratic, uh, too much given to speculation, then going to a preferred makes sense because, you know, it, the preferred is going to pay the dividend if the company is forced to do so. And if you're a bank, you have to pay that preferred dividend because a bank makes money 
by getting money from other people, remanufacturing it and selling it in the form of loans and investments. So to the degree that banks cannot get money, they can't have a business model that works. And how do they get money? They get money by making sure that they pay a market dividend on their preferreds or a market rate on their debt. And as a result, since the market understands that, uh, there is there is almost an unlimited demand for preferred stocks. I mean, I've never seen ever a bank attempt to do a preferred issue when they've had to cut back the size of that issue or when they've had to, uh, you know, walk away from the market. And, and the reason why these preferred sell is because, you know, investors can feel fairly confident. Nobody can be totally confident about anything, but they can feel fairly confident that the banks cannot take the risk of missing a preferred dividend. If the banks can't miss a preferred dividend, and if I can get 6% on a preferred dividend, you know, that I think is is about as safe as you can be. And again, I underline 90,000 times, you cannot be sure of anything. But, you know, the fact is, if I can get a 6% return on a bank preferred dividend, I can step away from the speculation in the market, wait till it calms down, and, and then come back in. And that's that's what, for the past year and a half, we've been suggesting. If banks miss a preferred dividend payment, they lose access to funding, destroying their business models, in your words. Yeah, that, well, what I'm saying to you is think of a bank the way you would think of a commercial company an oil company you need raw material and you need raw material to build your products well what is the raw material to get in an oil company it's oil what is the raw material that you get in a bank it's money so if you cut banks off from access to money they can't build their products if you cut the oil company off you know they can't refine what they don't have banks make loans if they don't have money they can't make investments if they don't have money. So the raw material of the bank is money. The whole business model of the bank is built around getting money, remanufacturing it, selling loans or investments, all right? That model breaks down if they can't get money. And how can they lose the access to money? Don't pay a dividend on the preferred. Don't pay the uh, coupon on a bond. You know, cut cut the uh, yield on a, on a, as Bank of New York Mellon did a couple of years ago. Cut the yield to negative as opposed to positive on the deposit. Then you lose access to money. If you lose access to money, you can't build your products. You can't build your products. You're out of business. So you know, banks must pay the pay must make the the payment on uh, the preferred to get money. If they get a lot of money, as they have been getting over the last few years, they can make a lot of products and they can generate a lot of profit. And, and that model works if you can get money. It doesn't work if you can't get money. And I'm going to say this for the 90,000th time. You can't get money if you miss the dividend payment on a preferred. Um, I, I don't understand this, but the government puts out once a year, um, the they call it this financial report of the United States government. It came out last week. Janet Yellen wrote the cover page and it goes through and talks about the financial health of the United States government. And one thing that stood out at me was that the net deficit of the budget last year was $1.3 trillion. This clearly states that. But the net debt of the United States went from $29.885 trillion to 
$34.1 trillion. So the debt grew by about $4.3 trillion. And I just wondered if Dick had any thoughts as to why or how the debt can grow by $3 trillion above and beyond what the official deficit is. And is our financial crisis a lot worse than than the government's making out to be because they have accounting chicanery they can they can implement? Well, yeah, the reason is because the, the budget of the United States government is fraudulent. It, it's fraudulent in that the United States government <laughs> has made commitments. It's, well, I mean, I keep arguing this all the time, and, and, and particularly when I write about Fannie Mae and Freddie Mac. The government, uh, you know, has mechanisms where they can show that they may be guaranteeing payments, that they may be, you know, making payments, but those payments are not, you know, directly from uh, the government's, you know, budget. And, and, how they do that, I don't know. All I know is that, you know, there are a number of, of, of uh, we'll say, forensic uh, experts who take a look at the situation and they come up with numbers that the, the government deficit is not 30 plus trillion, it's 90 plus trillion, 100 plus trillion. So, you know, uh, I, I know the mechanism whereby it happens. Uh, but to your second point, are we in a bigger financial crisis than we think? The answer, of course, is yes. Uh, and that's why I think that the Federal Reserve has got to keep its its uh, you know feet on the brakes and not give up on those feet on the brakes at all because uh, our financial system system is is an absolute you know horror show. I mean you know often you know when a company goes bankrupt you know not the government when a company goes bankrupt and and you know credit we'll take Credit Suisse right now right. Credit Suisse is in 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 essence being supported by the 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 the, the Swiss bank, the Swiss National Bank, and and Credit Suisse shows you know reports in which you know it shows deficits etc. And all of a sudden now uh, the, the 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 Swiss bank today is saying you know we want to take a closer look at how you calculate this. We we want to find out why you say what you're saying when we're not seeing those numbers being the same as what you're talking about. Well, if anybody did that to the United States government, you know, what Matt is talking about would just scream, you know, out that, you know, th this budget is not a budget of the United States. So fraudulent government accounting, uh, the national debt of 34 points something trillion I mean, that it's could be way above that dick it is way above that it mm. is way above that i mean you know unless the government is going to walk away from every guarantee that they've made you know just take the, the housing market who's guaranteeing you know all those all those payments on housing it's the united states government mm. is that on the, is that on the books of the united states government no it is not if uh, Fannie Mae, you know, were to lose money, is that going to come out of the budget of the United States? No, it is not. In reality, is it the United States government obligation? Is it the United States government's loss? Yes, it is. But it's not shown. So, I mean, this this is a huge... Matt's raised what is a huge, huge topic on which there's been a, a, an enormous amount written, all of which is, you know, in, in the vein of what I just said to you. They're not showing you reality. They're not showing you what they owe. They're not showing you what they guaranteed. And as a result of that, the financial crisis is a lot worse than what, you know, it's, it's, it's uh, you know, indicated to be. We should have a whole episode on this soon. It's it's frightening, actually. It's it's quite nerve wracking. I have one other since we since I I'm, by my count we have three or four more minutes. Um, the BLS for January said that wages were up six point one percent. 
which you know aligns with the inflation story and aligns with what we've been seeing out there. Um, but the U.S. Treasury's fiscal statement revealed that tax receipts for January were down 9.3%. I would think, not being an expert at government accounting, that by and large, if wages are up, tax receipts should be up. Are, is our, do you think our government is more dependent on capital gains than, than meets the eye? Because I kind of thought that wages would be the driver of tax receipts. Well, they, they are, but but you know, obviously, the uh, the incrementals in tax receipts are related to you know passive income and uh, the bu- business profits. Uh, and if if uh, the government gives you know two billion dollars, which is what we said in the past, two trillion dollars, which is what we said uh, it last week, to households, and then they take that away, then that doesn't affect wages one way or the other. But it sure as hell affects uh, profit taxes, you know, in in a big way. Yeah, we have a whole episode ahead of us on all this topic, Dick and Matt. Um, with some positives here, Bank Preferreds made me feel a little happy, but the last part is is certainly nerve-wracking, but worth having a debate. Um, we're out of time, Dick and Matt. We'll be back next week for episode 58, and until then, take care. Thank you for those insights earlier, Dick. And for our listeners, it's important to understand that as of today's recording date, February 21, 2023, neither Dick nor any member of his household has a financial interest in the list of bank preferred securities referred to earlier and has not received any compensation from these companies in the past 12 months. In addition, Odeon has not received any compensation from these preferred securities referred to and the companies are not investment banking clients of the firm. Dick's written reports on the companies are available to institutional customers of Odeon at insight.odeoncap.com and additional important disclosures are available to the public generally at odeoncap.com forward slash legal under the research disclosures tab all investing involves risk and you should consider those risks and your personal financial objectives before making investment decisions current and future holdings are subject to risk and past performance is no guarantee of future results this podcast should not be copied distributed published or reproduced in whole or in part Information presented herein is for discussion and illustrative purposes only and is not a recommendation or an offer or solicitation to buy or sell any securities. Securities identified do not represent all of the securities purchased, sold, or recommended to clients. The views and opinions expressed by the Odeon Capital Group speaker are their own as of the date of the recording. Any such views are subject to change at any time based upon market or other conditions and Odeon Capital Group disclaims any responsibility to update such views. These views should not be relied on as investment advice, and because investment decisions are based on numerous factors, may not be relied on as an indication of trading intent on behalf of any Odeon Capital Group product. Neither Odeon Capital Group nor the speakers can be held responsible for any direct or incidental loss incurred by applying any of the information offered.